When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Tuesday, Red Sox fans, which means it's time for another episode of the Fenway Rundown, Mass Lives Red Sox podcast. I'm Chris Cotillo, your host. Obviously, the Red Sox have been hit by the injury bug a little bit in recent days. Justin Turner hit in the face. Hamstring injuries for James Paxton and Connor Wong. Ryan Bayo and Garrett Whitlock are not progressing as the team would have liked. So you know, it's the old adage, you try to stay healthy through spring training. That has not been the case for the Red Sox in recent days. And I think that's a major cause for concern with just about three weeks ready to go before opening day. Uh, Chris Smith and myself are both home from spring training for a little bit, but still plenty of coverage at the site. Uh, today on the Tuesday, ran a roster projection, a new update of the 26-man roster. The Red Sox will be trotting out there on March 30th against the Orioles. Be sure to check that out. Obviously, the injuries have caused some changes there. You know, Cutter Crawford probably makes the team. I have Ryan Maltapia making the team. Uh, we're going to get to some of those things and more with Lou Merloni today. Lou, obviously, former Red Sox infielder, um, was a uh, an afternoon host at EEI for years. Uh, that role just ended, and he'll be you know, taking on a more um, active role in the booth, both for WEEI for about 60 games, according to reports, and Nesson as well. So. Appreciate Lou coming on. Uh, we get to a lot of different topics, kind of taking you behind the scenes of of some of the clubhouse uh, discussions that we've talked about, you know, the last few weeks, whether it comes to Tristan Casas or Kike Hernandez or leadership. Always good to get a former player's take on that and someone who's tuned in as Lou. Always happy to have on the show. So thanks to Lou Maloney for joining us today. We'll be back with you next week. We are here with Lou Merloni. I believe this is your Fenway Rundown debut. So I'm sure, you know, one of the banner moments in your uh, illustrious career. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it just, it's just, uh, you know, just goes to show that a Framingham guy and a guy from the North Bros. South Bro area can get along after all. See, there it is. I liked it. Yeah. And this is an honor, by the way. I've had some moments in my life, but this is definitely one of them, Chris. So Good. thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. So you, as I did, spent, you know, a lot of time at Fort Myers uh, recently. How long were you down there? Uh, I was there for like six, six, seven days. I'm heading, actually heading back for a couple of weeks here soon, a couple of days. Um, we'll start with this. I obviously have my impressions from 14, 15 days down there. You know, being around the team uh, as a former player, you know what spring training entails. What were your biggest takeaways? What were the biggest things that you saw, heard, that kind of stuff while you were down there? I would say for me um, that there's there's still some pretty good players here. I think we're all just banking on them kind of getting injured. And I know in the last three or four days, some guys have gone down. Right. Um, but when you're out there and you're watching these guys throw bullpens and you're watching guys take ground balls, you're watching guys take BP, when they're all healthy, you're like, huh, that's going to be a pretty good lineup. And, you know, they have a lot of depth and pitching to withstand a few injuries. And um, at that point, nobody was hurt. And you thought, okay, 
if they can keep it like this, then, then you know, they should be okay and be able to compete for a playoff spot. Now, injuries have happened, um, so it's a little bit different. But I don't know. I felt it was a good vibe. You know, I thought the biggest thing, too, I know Kike talked a lot about the differences last year and this year. Like, last year wasn't best. I think we can all admit it, just mm-hmm. as far as, like, leaders on this team, none of them had contracts. Like, the vocal leaders on this team were running this thing out. It was their last year. Team wasn't playing well. And it's a different vibe this year. You know, new guys coming in, trying to prove themselves, uh, organization trying to prove themselves, guys like Devers got his contract in place. So it just seems a lot smoother. I mean, people talk about, you know, the vibes. And uh, I think Heim Bloom and Alex Gore, people around the team have all said, oh, the, the vibes are really good here this year. I always kind of think, like, are they ever going to tell us if they're bad in spring training? Probably not. Right. But, you know, someone who's been in the clubhouse has been around. Like, is that a real thing where you can kind of feel, even at this point in the year, how it's going to be? Yeah, I think it's tough to do that. I mean, um, I, I think it's the, the excitement of just seeing some new faces, right? I mean, basically, you look in there and it's like, okay, we got you know, a couple of new guys in the middle of the infield, we got a new DH, we got a new this, we got a new that, new first baseman, new catchers. So it's just, uh, you know, I think the excitement of that, uh, I think some of the veteran pitchers um, bring the excitement of just maybe being able to be on the mound. I know that's stopped with James Paxton, obviously, right. but I don't know if you really feel that like in camp and camp at times. But it's so split. Like you said, some guys work out. Back then, we traveled a lot more, I felt like. I, I don't know, like longer trips everywhere. So it was right. like, you know, half the week you saw half the guys. The other half of the week you saw the other half of the guys. Mm-hmm. It was kind of hard. What were your impressions of Yoshida down there? I was impressed basically off of batting practice, right? I mean, that's kind of what we saw. I mean, I saw him in yeah. two or three games. Uh, but I, I didn't realize he had a kind of power and how it's generated and how simple approach it is. You know, mm-hmm. when you, whenever you hear guys that have a good at bats, you see it with Casas, we saw it with JD Drew. It's always very similar approaches, you know, very slow, methodical load and getting back and getting the foot down early and, and just compact swing, not a lot of action. Those guys tend to see the baseball better. I felt like he did that. It's just that when he swung the ball, swung the bat, it exploded off the bat. Like he hit balls. I didn't think he could hit that far. Like he was hitting balls to left center that weren't just landing in left center or actually going to the warning track. So there was a lot more power than I, than I expected to see from him. Yeah. I think that's been a lot of people's takeaways. And obviously, you know, the, the frame is, uh, you know, a little bit different. He's a shorter guy. I think, you know, uh, those of us in the, in the short community appreciate a new Red Sox player who is of that <laughs> stature. You know, I've been missing that since Pedroia, but, um, but just really jacked. And, you know, I've seen the comparisons of people mm-hmm. on, on Twitter saying like that Saquon Barkley lower half build. Um, I guess he generates it from that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just quick hands too. And it's not like, you know, um, you know, like, like a lot of guys in Japan, they come over and it's sort of like you have that ass out swing, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean, like a little two seamer away, change up away and their ass is going to first. And, but they're keeping the barrel you know, on the ball, through the baseball, through the plate, which is amazing. The plate coverage these guys have, like each row is a perfect example. Yeah. But it's not really like that. It's really more of like a, a standard American kind of approach. You know, you can still see that there's some influence there from playing in Japan. I get it. But it's uh, it's a pretty compact swing. I'm curious to see how it translates. You know, I mean, we saw, I saw some games where there were a few swing and misses and strikeouts. And I was just like, huh, you know, it's not like this guy's never going to strike out. Right. right. But, um, so I'm curious to see how it translates. Well, he came pretty damn close uh, with his numbers in Japan, you know, walking way more yeah. than he did strike out. I think, you know, Alex Gore, one of the interesting things for me so far in camp was Bloom. everybody involved said when they introduced him in, in January, 
uh, he was probably going to be the leadoff hitter. And, you know, I'm not sure if it was something lost in translation with the answer, but uh, he said through a translator at the press conference, I've never done that before. I'm not sure I'm comfortable doing that. And it seems like the Red Sox have really moved away from that, completely backing off of him as the leadoff guy. And now, you know, seems like he's a guy that's slotted in three or four. Um, kind of interesting to see that already change so early, because I think when they signed him, they actually thought this is the prototypical guy. This is going to fit the problem. Um, I think we all kind of looked at it that way. Where would you slot him in? Do you think he's more of a middle of the order guy with that pop? Or do you think he's a table setter? And then, you know, if a guy's not comfortable doing it, then is, is it just impossible to put him, you know, in the leadoff spot? Yeah, I was. I thought that was interesting. I think I was down to that day where Alex kind of walked that back, right? He's like, I don't know who's yeah. talking about leadoff, and I was like, uh, you guys, <laughs> you, yeah, thought, exactly, right. But um, <laughs> right, where to hit them? For me, you kind of go up and think about this lineup, and honestly, like the first thing they got to figure out is who's going to hit leadoff. You know, because you can say, well, I don't want to hit him leadoff. I'm going to hit him fourth or, or wherever it might be, and it's like, okay, well, leadoff is a serious problem for you. Last yeah. year, you brought this guy in for a couple years, right? Like, is, is Casas really a consideration for leadoff? Like, I like the on-base, and, and, and I actually like Casas, like, in front of some guys, to, you know, because because he's so patient, if you hit him fifth or sixth, is there a lot of walks? And who's he walking for? The bottom third? Mm-hmm. Now, if they're healthy, you know, he's walked for who? Kike? Okay. Verdugo? Okay. You know I me, mean? But I don't know if I want a guy that's going to draw a ton of walks in that six or seven hole, because it's he's drawing walks for the guys in the bottom of the order. But... So who's leading off? You know, if you feel Casas can lead off, okay. Then I can see back-to-back Casas, Devers, Turner, Yoshida, you know. But I think you got to figure that out first because I do think there'll still be um, thoughts of Yoshida leading off. And even though his pop has kind of convinced them that maybe he can hit third or four, Mookie has 30 bombs hitting leadoff. So right. I don't know why and that's a big Aaron problem. Aaron Judge hits leadoff, right? Right, yeah. So I – but they got to figure out who's hitting leadoff before they start figuring out where Devers and all these other guys are slotted. I think. Yeah, I mean, and and it seems like you know Devers second, Turner third is what they want to do. The other guys, Cora is talking about Kike Hernandez, who he says has done a good job for them in the leadoff spot. I mean, I would question that a little bit. There's been times where he mm-hmm. has not been good. Alex Verdugo did it in 2020. Uh, said he didn't want to do it again, and you know uh, <laughs> doesn't feel comfortable doing it. So. Uh, it is something they've got to figure out and something they have not really been able to for a couple of years since, you know, even go- dating back to when they tried Ben Attendee there and that, that didn't right. work. I mean, there seems to be a uh, weird kind of mental block mindset for some guys when it comes to putting them there. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe, maybe Casas is there, you know, and maybe he's your lead off guy, draw some walks. I mean, at some point when McGuire's playing, you got five lefties, got to go back to back lefties. Right. So mm-hmm. I would, I would think Yoshida Devers, Casas Devers is probably the best place to do it because they're still going to give you a good at-bat against Devers. I mean, I don't think you want Verdugo McGuire at the bottom of the order, right. you know, 7-8 or something like that. I think that's just inviting that lefty-lefty matchup. So whether it's Casas Devers or Yoshida Devers, I think that's kind of somewhere where they land. Well, you know, you bring up Casas from the leadoff perspective. But I want to take a different angle with this. Obviously, you know, I think I was going to say a story that kind of got a lot of attention, which was one I wrote. Uh, so – it sounds like a brag, but it's not because it's objective. All your get stories get attention. attention, Chris. They all get <laughs> right. attention. Of course. Thank you. Um, the the story about, you know, his pregame routines and stuff, and obviously that had some play early in camp uh, for those who didn't read it. Uh, it's on MassLive.com, so you should. But uh, the, the whole thing was sunbathing in the outfield, pregame naps in the clubhouse, different things that were part of his routine, and veterans took exception uh, to different levels. He admitted 
you know, on the record, there were clashes last year. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit, you know, one-on-one at Fort Myers, but just where do you stand on something like this where a rookie trying to be himself, but also trying to kind of conform to a veteran clubhouse. And then, you know, the, the veterans maybe having that old man yell at cloud type of thing, like take us kind of behind the scenes of what that dynamic can be like and, and really how we think it's even evolved if it has. Well, based on the reaction of your article, I think I'm going to be on the other side of this because I was amazed how it was almost 98, 99% on the side of Casas. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, acting like, you know, the big league clubhouse is like it was 40 years ago, you know, 50 years ago. It's different. It was when I was in the big leagues in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was different. It was softer, you know, than it had been 20 years ago. Right. Um, and it's even softer now. But, uh, you know, if you go out there and like, a, you know, a big prospect rookies out there opening day and he's sunbathing with the shirt and shoes off in the outfield, I, I don't know how else you would react other than what is going on. Like, there's ways to handle it. I mean, you don't have to like torture the kid, right. but you know, you just say like, okay, you know, we don't, we don't do that. Let's find a different spot for it. Let's, I don't know, put some shoes on, uh, you know, figure it out, like just have a different routine. And the other part too, in the clubhouse, like everyone's, you know, everybody should respect him. It's his routine. Well, it's a very small clubhouse. He's a very mm-hmm. big guy. And if he's lying on the floor in front of that locker room and you get guys stepping over him, because by the way, they've got stuff they got to do. Like you're going to voice your, your you're going to sit there and have to talk to the kid. Number one, the clubhouse has a nap room. They have a sleep room. They have beds. You yeah. want to nap, change your routine. We all that to alter our routines. I had to alter my routine when I came up from AAA. I couldn't do the same things I was doing on game day at AAA when I got to the club, whatever. I altered it somewhat. So you alter it. It's not that big of a deal. They're not torturing this kid, but you know, there's certain things that, that, that aren't the way they used to be, certainly, and that's a good thing. But at the same point, you know, I think you got to reel some of that stuff in. Yeah, and you know what? He has uh, the kind of the, the point of the piece was that he did and that he was willing to make the changes, and it was a learning experience. I think people's takeaway, because, you know, you look at the numbers of how many people saw the tweet versus how many people actually click on the piece, and it's a lot different, obviously. Uh, but I think the takeaway mm-hmm. people had was like, well, they they were mean to him and he let him be, you know, let him kind of do what he wants when the real takeaway was, you know, this happens everywhere and he adjusted and he's going to adjust in the future, which I don't think is, you know, that uh, uncommon as, as you kind of alluded to. No, when I came up, I told I was told I had to shut up. I talked too much, yeah. you know, and, and uh, it's just like my personality. I remember like like Val and Mo and those guys, Mo called me over and was like, man, Listen, I mean, you know, I knew Mo, right? Uh, Mo Vaughn doing different things at camps and stuff around here. So I'd known him for a couple of years when I came up. That helped with the transition. But at the same point, he's like, shut up. You talk too much. Like, too many, <laughs> we don't want to hear you. And it was my personality. So is that mean? No, was it mean? It was just the way it was. You know, I mean, that's okay. I'll go about my business, you know, and, and that's it. I try to just, you know, stay in my lane and, and do my thing, you know, like, and, and pick my spots or my crowd that I was right. talking to, right? Some of the guys I was comfortable with. So it's all an adjustment. They're not making this guy go up there and hit right-handed now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're letting him play. They're letting him do his thing. It's just there's some adjustments needed to be made. Yeah, and to his credit, another thing he keeps saying to anybody who interviews him, it's like, you know, hey, I'm going to be quirky. I'm going to have do my own thing. You know, there's going to be clashes at times like last year doesn't matter. I have to produce, right? If I'm going to do all this stuff and talk a big game, yeah. I have to hit. 
And, you know, I think that that's kind of, you know, if he goes out and, and, you know, hits, you know, 290 with 25 bombs, I think he can, he can, you know, nap in Alex Cora's chair if he wants before a game at that point, because I think people are going to. My guess is, yeah, my guess is, is that, you know, if he has a successful career, he will have a daily routine at some point of lying out in the outfield with his shirt off and his shoes off. Yeah. You know, when he's kind of, you know, established himself as a leader, if he wants to do something, maybe he'll lead a freaking team yoga class at mm-hmm. one o'clock in right field. I don't know. But when you first come up, it's just everyone's like, oh, you got to respect Costas. You got to respect Costas. Well, there is a sense you got to respect the locker room. You got to respect the clubhouse. You got to respect the guys in front of you. They got to respect the guys that have got time and what they've done and what they've already accomplished, things like that. And you got to realize you're in their way of preparing. You know what I mean? So it's 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 a give and take. What well, you I mean, you kind of mentioned this with contract stuff, but you seem to buy into the, you know, maybe kind of rotten clubhouse idea for at points last year compared to this group. You know, it kind of feels like, you know, to me, being in there and seeing it obviously an hour a day, not you know, being in there all the time, it seemed like it was a very tight knit group with a lot of veteran leadership. But it seems to have come come out really the last couple months, especially with comments from Kike that you know, there were some things that uh, weren't perfect in there and that maybe a changing of the guard was necessary. You you buy that whole thing? I'm just like, if I was put in that situation that this team was last year, I don't know how else to look at it other than um, leaders in this clubhouse, whether it's Bogey, JD, Evaldi, and Vasquez. Like those four guys who have seen it all, who have won championships, who have been here the longest, all looked at last year as an all-in. And if the reality is we're not coming back, then, you know, we want to put out the best chance to win, to, to win, right? Maybe they felt that uh, the team wasn't put together in that light. You know, it's like, okay, th- this doesn't look like a GM that's going all in. This looks like a GM that's sort of rebuilding. And they're going to yeah. just let us play this thing out. And I think the contract talks didn't go where a lot of those guys wanted. And then I think the reality set in. You know, maybe the deadline was the last gasp. And when mm-hmm. Baskey left, it was like, wow, this is it, huh? Like, I have two more months playing in Boston. And when that settles in, one month left playing in Boston, we're in fourth place, we're in fifth place, we're out of the playoffs. I don't know how a kid can stop. You know, yeah. when your leaders are already thinking of leaving, I, I don't know how it can. You know, and like I said, I don't know for a fact. I just find it impossible for it not to be like that last year. And not just those guys, but, you know, the other veteran leaders, too. Waka was on a one-year deal. Hill was on a one-year deal. Um, you know, even a veteran guy, was well-liked. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Tommy Pham came in. He's obviously, you know, wasn't there long, but a veteran who was, you know, playing on a one-year deal. Like, there were so many, um, you know, Matt Strom was kind of a leader of the bullpen, same thing. You know, like, there was just so many, you know, pending free agents that, you know, you're right. It seems like, you know, at a certain point, it's like, all right, we're, we're kind of playing for our own futures now, and it's probably not going to lead back here. So, um, and they have a lot of guys on one-year deals now too, right? I mean, that's the whole team again, whether it be, you know, Duvall or Turner or Kike or, um, you know, some of these guys, I think that's, that's another interesting thing where if this goes south again, it's another, you know, possibility of a seller's deadline coming down the pike too. Yeah. And some of those guys are different, you know what I mean? Like, like some of these guys are, you know, Duvall had such a bad year last year and gotten hurt. So, Mm -hmm. You know, the one-year deal, he wants to go and perform. Paxton wants to show that he can just pitch in this league again. You know, Turner's getting up there at age where, you know, one-year deal, if it goes well, maybe there's a one-year extension, right? But there's no four or five-year deal waiting for him. Kike's an interesting one because the shortstop 
if he can go out and prove he can play shortstop every day, you know, what's waiting for him at the end of the season? You know, and I don't think the emotional ties, none of those guys has been here the longest to the organization. You know, the other guys, I think leaving here, staying here, wanting to win here for one more year meant more. And when that reality set in that it wasn't happening, that's when worlds kind of change. You know, like, man, Bogey, Basky, I grew up in this organization. You know, JD, I won a World Series here. Baldy, I won a World Series. I turned my career around here. You know, mm -hmm. it just meant more emotionally to those guys, I think, which made it harder. Uh, a couple more things for you. I want to get to the injuries because that's obviously been, you know, it's been an injury a day in the last few days for the Red Sox. Yeah. Start, starts with Connor Wong. Um, obviously, James Paxton, we saw that play out yesterday with Justin Turner. Um, the, obviously, I think you know, when we saw Bayo and, and Whitlock behind, I think, you know, they're going to slow play those guys as um, spring training continues because they want to be careful with a lot of these guys, right? Any of those in your mind, you know, set off kind of alarm bells more than just kind of a minor early spring injury? Yeah, Turner, you know, last night, um, that kind of worries me. I mean, like you did the other day when, when Alex said that he's basically going to protect Devers all year, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like that. The, the most complete right-handed hitter they have, really, mm -hmm. and he is. And it's not just, you know, luckily, no fractures or testing concussions. It's just mentally coming back from it. He's not a young guy. Uh, stepping back into that box, you know, so I think that, and he, and more importantly, he's such a big factor in this line. Like you're talking about a guy that could be a third or fourth or fifth for you, middle of the order bat. Um, so that's a concern. And I'll hopefully see him back, you know, take his time and get back out there and, and not miss much time or just get back in this line. If the other guys, Bay or Whitlock, not so much. Now it's just no more setbacks, right? Uh, with those guys. Uh, Wong is a guy that, that might actually help their catching situation with Alfaro, kind of like mm -hmm. not knowing what to be able to do with him. Um, I still like Wong a lot. I think he's going to help. So that one might just sort of settle that whole Alfaro contract thing. But as right. you know, they got some 40-man problems. You know, if I think you can maybe slide one guy on there, but two's going to be hard. If it's like Alfaro, Tapia, right. that might be challenging for them to do. Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, exactly who they'd look to cut because it feels like, you know, they don't really have any uh, don't really have any, you know, guys that are easy DFAs. Yu Chang is going to probably be on the opening day roster. Mondesi is not going to be a 60 man guy. So it's going to be, you know, one of those things where it's going to be going to be tough there. What about I mean, is Paxton? I mean, that seemed like maybe more, you know, emotionally and mentally like a tough one just because, you know, first spring start and can't even get through it to me. Um, that was kind of a blow, even if it's not something that, you know, is probably going to keep him out very long. Yeah. I mean, given what these guys are going through, I mean, he and Sailor are in the same boat, you know, and, and I think Paxton wanted more than anything to walk off the mound like Sailor did yesterday, right? Smiling like I got through it. Perfect. That's what you want from these guys. Walk off on your own. No trainers. Walk off on your own. And that's what you're looking for, given what both of these guys have gone through the last few years. Paxton even more so than Sale. So, for him to not be able to get through it and feel that and it be a grade one strain, whatever it is, as mild as it is, I agree with you. But again, you know, these short-term injuries to me, it's, you know, if you get Bayo and, pa and Whitlock back second week of the season, uh, if you get Paxton back uh, May 1st, I don't know, you know, and you start staggering healthy arms in case some guys go down, that's the best way to get through it. Mm -hmm. So the short-term injuries sometimes can kind of give guys opportunities and help as long as they come back and there's no long-term injuries. Yeah, and definitely in this case, giving Cutter Crawford a chance as well. Uh, yeah. We'll end with, we'll, we'll end with uh, talking about you. Um, 
obviously this year is going to be different than what the last few years have been for you in, in the middle of the season, mm-hmm. obviously uh, more games in the booth and, and not doing the, you know, daily talk radio show. Um, are you looking forward to that adjustment? I know that, you know, you've talked about your reaction to all the changes and things like that, but uh, as you head into the year, kind of where's your mindset with, you know, doing more games, I think it's 60 for EI and, and some for Nesson as well. Um, and, you know, obviously more time around the ballpark. How do you feel about all that? Oh, I couldn't be happier. I mean, it's really, it's like, I, I love it. Like all my research and time spent is, is about this organization and baseball and looking around the game. And it's, it's so much better. Like it's so much, makes me so much happier than trying to figure out what's wrong with the Celtics, you know, what yeah. the Patriots should do with Mac Jones. Like, honestly, I don't really care. Like mm-hmm. I follow it as a fan now. I'm actually can just be a fan, you know, of those right. sports again and not be this critical mind of what's wrong with everybody, you know, but for me, it's baseball. Like I, I love, like I was home here for a week, you know, and, and um, there were days where I'm just like, I just wish I was like yesterday. I was like, I just wanted to be there to watch sale throw, mm-hmm. like just walk around, you know, and just see the game. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. I don't know how many games it'll end up being. It'll be an adjustment for me, but um, I've always loved going in the booth, you know, and just doing the first four games there on Nesson last week. I had a blast. And when I go down, it'll be a lot more radio this next time. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of Nesson games at the end. So I'm looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, it's happy. It's my happy place. I like it. Oh, good. We'll we'll, uh, we'll end that on a happy note. So that's Lou Merloni. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate your time. Thanks. Uh, you got it, Chris. Anytime, pal.